So, um, Grant, I can't believe it's taken us so long to organise this um, podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You've been a little busy. Yeah, it's been very remiss of me not to set up this um, some time ago, but I'm absolutely thrilled that finally, you know, you're taking taking part in this. And I think before we get stuck into what is the content of your final dissertation, it would be fantastic if you could explain to the listeners a little bit about who is Grant and you know, what's been your story so far, which which I know is fascinating because I've heard it a bit before. <laughs> uh, but if you could share your story um, for the listeners so they can understand your context, I think that would be fantastic. Perfect. Thank you. And, and you know, it's been such a joy to work with you over these years. Um, uh, as you know, I met you, gosh, in 2018 uh, when I started a new role. I worked for Royal Caribbean Cruises, which is a global cruise brand. And within it, we have six other brands uh, that we operate and serve around the world. And my role is the leader of sales transformation. But it wasn't that when I very first met you in 2018. Uh, it, was, it was a new title. It was a brand new department called Sales Improvement. Um, the name didn't stick with me. I didn't understand why are we trying to improve our people uh, when we really want to transform the way they work. Um, but I didn't know that at the time. Uh, And it wasn't until um, uh, a colleague of mine became my executive coach, Mr. Brian Tilley. Um, And uh, he had connected me to you and said, there's a whole new way to transform your sales teams. And you can do that through science and psychology and education versus just typical 1980s style tips and tricks and consultative Mm -hmm. techniques. So that's when I was introduced to you. And we, we then started together on a whole new journey how do we transform the way we sell here at Royal Caribbean in a global environment? You know, we have uh, over 60 vessels that we operate around the world. Uh, we're over a billion dollars a year in, in you know, generated revenue. We operate in over 60 countries around the world. How do we do that? And how do we build it? And little did we know back then in 2018, we didn't even have a sales manual. It didn't exist. You know, and it was just goes to show the mission that you're on, uh, which is brilliant in professionalizing sales. Um, you know, all the other entities within the corporation had, you know, strict guidelines, policies, procedures, principles, and how people will do their jobs and perform their roles. But within sales, a 50-year global, you know, industry, we had nothing to articulate. Well, how do I perform as a sales professional? So that was the mission that I set out on. And initially, it was supposed to be to create a sales manual. But after meeting you and starting the master's program, we quickly realized that there was so much more to the task. Um, And so that's what I've been doing since 2018 is creating that journey, um, creating the educational aspects of it, of how to transform our sales teams to be better at what they do with a a whole different mindset, so to speak, uh, and how we focus more on what the customer's wants and needs are versus our own. Grant, you've all, always been so generous in, in the way kind of you, you refer to, to the um, journey that you've been on, um, for which we're very grateful. Um, but um, I think we should take the focus away from, you know, the contribution that Consalia has made, you know, to your journey into, you know, what you've achieved in, in a relatively short space of time. 
Um, so we're here specifically to talk about the outputs of your master's dissertation. And I don't think I'll ever forget, you know, the first time that I met you, <laughs> you, were, you were there on that, you know, that, you know, first module of ours. And um, um, I don't quite know how you described yourself. Was it the, um, you know, you described your previous history and where you'd come from? You know, I'd love you to share that story, you know, with the listeners as well. It's funny, I, you know, when people oh, oh, always come with me because uh, I just described myself as a small town boy for Kansas. You know, I mean, I grew up on the farm. <laughs> small towns we had farms all around uh, uh the, the, the population was about 500 people but that sets the stage for who i am and where i've come from you know and people say well how did you get up in the cruise industry and the actuality of it was uh, i come from a navy family and so while many people would go the college and university route i went the military route which was the same as my brothers and my father's grandfather's uncles etc so that was my indoctrination to the sea and once I did that, I just fell in love with ships and being at sea. Um, and there's something about that camaraderie of, you know, living on a floating city and leaving the safety and the security net of land and having to depend upon your brothers and sisters to be there for you and do their jobs. Because yeah. if they don't, your life could be in peril. Yeah. Uh, and the Navy transitioned me quickly into the cruise industry. Um, my parents were in travel as well, too. So I grew up in the travel uh, arena and I understood it. And it was just a natural progression of how I could continue my C career. Yeah. OK, well, that's brilliant. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for that. So um, I'm here looking at the front page of your master's dissertation here um, around um, scared. So what? And mm -hmm. uh, as a as a change model and. I think that it would be very helpful for us all to understand, you know, what was it that made you decide in your final project to focus on change? Mm -hmm. um, uh, before we go into the model itself, because I think that I'd like you to explain, you know, a little bit more detail what the model is, you know, so that people can understand the research that you've done. To, to kind of establish whether or not it's relevant, you know, in, mm -hmm. in today's circumstances. So there you go. Absolutely. And, and thanks for the opportunity. Um, it started back in module four of the masters. And uh, even though you have three, three distinct sales masters, I participated in leading sales transformation. And so that was my master's program that I went through. And module four was critical. How do we as sales leaders champion people through change? And how do we lead them through change? And I remember sitting in a classroom with you and uh, with the other academics that were teaching, and we learned about all of the other major models for facilitating change around the world. And it just was not sitting well with me. Um, and I remember looking at you and you, you looked over at me as well and saying, something's not right, Grant's not getting something. In actuality, I was getting something um, and it was a, a conflict within myself. Um, I quickly realized that these models were for creating and facilitating change within an organization. But where's the individual? That was the question. That was mm -hmm. the burning question. And I challenged it. If you recall, I raised my hand to you and I said, I, I don't really agree with this. 
and you smiled in your normal way and said, go on the, the, the ever progressive coach that you are, um, you know, and you said, tell me more. And what was sitting with me was as individuals, my sales team has the right to choose whether they accept change or not. And I don't really know that if I use these models and that didn't sit well with me. So what about the individual's ability to reject change? What if I'm, I'm creating a sales promotion or a new sales org structure, or I'm creating a new incentive plan and I'm rolling it out and I may use one of the, the models that we learned about to implement that change process. The key element that was missing for me was the individual. And what happens if they don't accept it? What if they reject it? Where are they in the journey? And that kept bringing up fear to me. And, um, and that's when you and the other professors uh, encouraged me to expand upon that. And so I tackled fear. The fear of change is metathesophobia. So it's actually a real psychological uh, impact that happens to people in extreme situations. But I think that everybody experiences that on some level, mm -hmm. uh, some way, shape, or form. But I also recognize, well, what if it's positive change? Does your body know the difference? You still have panicky uh, reactions. You still have stress. You still have anxiety. Maybe you get goosebumps. Maybe you start to sweat. Your, your, heartbeat race, uh, your heartbeat races. So what happens if I'm implementing a positive change at work to the sales team? Um, I have to take those thoughts into consideration. And the existing models just didn't do it for me. So with your, with your challenge, I created, you know, scared so what? A new, a new model. Um, I think it would be quite helpful to uh, just go back to the sort of models that you were looking at at the time before you decided that those models weren't fit for purpose from, from, from yeah. your you know, personal point of view. So I wonder if you could just expand a bit on yeah, the models that you, that you were introduced to actually by us on that module. Of course. You know, and it's really relevant. Um, uh, it's, it's funny. It feels like years ago you introduced me to the models. And those models are, are like John Cotter's, uh, you know, eight steps. You have um, Daryl Connor's positive change uh, or negative change. You have the SARA curve, which is uh, attributed to Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Uh, multiple models that are very famous throughout the world today. And you would see these normally in business. Uh, the change curves, etc. Um, McKinsey's uh, seven layer structure. So in learning all about those, the same theme kept coming up to me. They're brilliant at what they do. And most of them I have used or come into contact with throughout my adult career and my career pathway. So I think it's very relevant that we're teaching this um, because any, any one person throughout the world will be utilizing it. And I've developed a great respect for the models themselves, but I kept finding that there was one key element that was missing and that was the individual and their right to choose what happens if we choose a negative reaction i won't know that through these models and so i quickly developed a theory that these models were designed for organizations to be used in organizations on people to facilitate the organizational change process and it wouldn't yeah. be until later uh, until much later, until I got into the research phase of it, that I actually proved that. And yeah, that yeah, no, it's it, it's it, it's it was a fascinating uh, moment in your sort of personal development journey when you 
when you when you did look frustrated and I thought oh is Grant uh, a little bit upset with the master's program it's not meeting his expectations but it was no something more profound than that I think in in you really thinking very carefully about the systems and what I love about what you did is you, you weren't just a sort of accepting things as they were you were questioning you were critically reflecting that on the different systems and trying to make sense of them and i think that um it, it's quite interesting i was doing a podcast with another one of our uh, um, alumni recently who also chose change as his final dissertation and and he when analyzing the resistances to change he spoke about the 10, there were 10 key reasons that uh, change was resisted. Of the 10, nine of them were emotional. They were sort of personal emotional drivers. And I find this, this connection between how do people deal with change personally versus how would you go through it in a McKinsey-esque change program? Absolutely. Yeah, Isn't that so funny I, how they, they, it sounds like his thesis supports my model. Um, well, it does to a point, but unlike, um, so, so, so his research went more into the importance of engaging with people at an emotional sense, yeah. which I guess was the angle that you were eventually coming to. Yeah. But what was different is that you had created your own model yes. and you and tested your own model. He didn't do that. He just explored it through this emotional lens. And part of what I love about these uh, projects that we get from from students is that you you get a glimpse into a topic through different lenses. And I think uh, I think it, it took a lot of courage, I think, on your part to uh, create a new model. You know, why should anyone accept a new model from Grant? Yeah. Or want to, or want to even embark on that journey. Or, or, or want to embark <laughs> on that journey. So, and, and the more I listen to you talking about it, and the more that I go back to your dissertation, which of course I've done for the purpose of the Mastercast, the more I can sort of guess underneath the skin of what clearly provoked you to commit, not just then, but also since then, an awful lot of focus on this topic. So I think what we should do now is just explain what SCARED, so what stands for. Okay. Um, so I wonder if you could just explain the model, it, because it wasn't the building of the model, was it? That was your final dissertation. It was it was um, applying that model and sensing people's use of it. That was yeah. the outcome of your dissertation. But let, let's just focus on the model itself. OK, yeah. And you're absolutely right. It was the actual latter part of the, the master's program was almost fit for proof proving that the concept, that the model itself could work and how it could work. So the model itself is called scared, so what? And you don't have to be scared to use it. That's the brilliant uh, part of it. What I've done is I, I, I focused on the energy of change, personal change, what happens to an individual. And I broke it up under positive, 
neutral and negative energy aspects. And that's what makes this model unique because it can be a positive change, but you still are going to have actions or anxieties or stresses or fears that come from it. So the first part, scared, focuses on the emotional side of change, personal change. And in it, you have surprise. What level of surprise are you, positive, neutral, or negative? Uh, then you come to the C, which is, am I championing this change or am I conflicted? The A is, what actions could I take? And that's the key heart of scared. Action brings in information. And when you have a personal change situation happening to you, usually we don't take on actions. We make a knee-jerk reaction or re react to personal change. And what I'm saying is, if you can stop and critically reflect on the change that's happening to you, what actions could you take to generate knowledge and information? Okay, so that's an action point. Then you move on to the R, which is receptive or rejective. And this is what's really unique about a change model because it, it focuses on the negative side of it as well. Do you reject this change or are you receptive of it? Then you move into another action phase. It's kind of like a secondary action. What could you do for more? And that's the E, explore. Could you explore other options or opportunities? And finally, can you make a decision? D is for decision. Do I make a favorable decision that this changes for me? I really like it. Uh, do I make a negative decision, which is completely okay? Um, you know, do I don't like this change? Or are you stuck in what's called indecision? Have you ever been, Dr. Phil, in a situation where you think, gosh, I just don't know what to do. I can't think about it. I don't know where I should go. I don't know how I feel about it. I sure you do. We, we all say that every single day. That I categorize as indecision. And what you can do to make a change to the feeling is go back and facilitate an action. Now, like you, um, I, I've stolen a little bit from you on your surveys, um, your, your sales mindset survey, and I created my own survey on SCARED to find out a visual representation of how do people feel about the change. And so you answer a series of questions and it will populate a grid that tells you are you positive energy, neutral energy, or negative energy, so you can see where you are. Um, and so that's the first part of it. That focuses on the emotional side. The second part is where all other models kind of stopped. And I said to myself, well, if you can embrace a change, neutral, positive, neutral, or negative, you're going to ask yourself, so what? Well, so what does it mean? Or so what do I do? Or can I do about it? And so that's where I said, there needs to be some sort of a strategy plan to support a person. So I created, so what? The S stands for what's your strategy? What are your options and opportunities? The W means for do I have a way forward? The H is do I know how or do I have hope? That's a stopping point. Do I know how I'm going to execute this change or do I have hope that it will work? If you can answer yes, then you move forward. If you can't answer yes, then you go back and you can rework your strategy and options with yourself or others. You can involve people in your own change scenario. But let's say that you can uh, answer yes to hope or how, then you move on to what actions can I take? Again, an action item. And finally, how do I ensure that I take ownership? That's what the T means, taking ownership to hold myself accountable. So if you put that all together, you've got scared, so what? Scared tackles the emotions, so what says, how am I gonna get through this?
Yeah, it, it was, um, it's a very, very nice, um, um, what's the word, mnemonic, yeah, mnemonic to, to actually sort of capture the core elements. And of course you did this um, during the time of the pandemic, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, you I had did. an awful lot of people uh, inside your organization who were probably not just surprised, yeah, but scared. They were scared. <laughs> Literally scared. Yeah. Because I don't think any of us will forget the sort of images of those early pandemic days, you know, with the ships at sea, with people stuck on them, not being able to get off. And well, not even yeah. that, as it progressed forward, then all of a sudden, for the first time in history, the entire cruise industry, airline industry shut down. I know. Completely. Mm, just extraordinary. Yeah. So, yeah. So you're yeah. right. People were definitely scared. So um, were, were, were you influenced by that environment in when you started to look at the, the you know, the, the reaction, you know, to mm -hmm. the pandemic? Or, or because earlier on, you sort of referred to the lens of, of, of sales and enablement and sales training and so mm -hmm. on. And it was, it was really getting people to adopt new, you know, new ideas and why weren't people adopting them? So yeah. It, to some extent, you know, you were looking at the challenge of change, perhaps through a more business context, mm -hmm. yet we also had the pandemic. So I suppose my question is, you know, was that just two, two things happening at the same time or did the pandemic influence you in any way, you know, um, with, with it, the model itself when you de developed it? Yeah, it's, an, it's a very interesting question. And honestly, um, when I first uh, built Scared So What with you in, in the master's program, it was, I did it to, to find out how come people were not reacting uh, to the sales training program that I was launching. Why was the adoption rate so low? Yeah. And it's a change, right? It was a massive change. And we do this all the time in sales. We implement, you know, um, promotional opportunities, uh, offers to our guests and our consumers, yeah. uh, all types of sales changes. So I wanted to use the model to influence that. My sales team's individual resistance to change, right? Yeah. But the pandemic came and in, in hindsight, it was the most beneficial thing you could ever ask for when you're building a change model. Yeah. Because instantly the whole world was thrust up in change. So human resources actually knew that I was doing the master's program and that I had built this because I shared it with my senior leadership. HR immediately came to me and said, is there any way you can get scared so wet out to all the employees? Um, we need you to share this with people to help them because this is a massive change. Not only was it, were the cruise ships themselves shutting down, airlines shutting down, uh, you know, we were going into zero revenue. And while we thought it would be one month, that's just unheard of. It ended up being two years. Um, but very quickly, we had to close down offices. So people were faced with getting ready to lose their jobs. We had salespeople uh, that we were keeping to support our customers. And they didn't, there was nothing to sell. They had nothing to sell. So do we shut down sales or do we continue to foster the relationships with our our business customers, our B2B partners. We chose to do that, but they were ripe with fear. Uh, just nobody knew what to do. So Scared So What instantly became a tool and a vessel to help literally everybody within our organization to master or understand the change that they're going through. 
And then we took the program and then we actually started, we realized that we were making headway with our team members. People were no longer scared. They were stopping and thinking it through. They were performing critical reflection. And we found it so interesting in, in the evidence that people had made decisions. They made favorable decisions. They moved into their so what and said, boss, I need help with this. I need help with that. My customers need this. Uh, I'm going to lose my job in six months. Therefore, I need help with the recruiter. I need help with transition. And then they went about and did their work. They didn't just follow the normal pathway that somebody who received the bad news just kind of went into paralysis. They actually performed because it gave them a way to think the process through. Um, as a result, one of the leaders in Europe um, out of the UK, our vice president said, can we take this and give it to our business to business customers, our travel agents throughout Europe, Middle East and Africa? And we did. I packaged it up into a learning uh, module, online learning module with videos, et cetera. And we fed it to all of our travel agents across Europe, Middle East and Africa to help them manage their own way through personal change because they too were facing business closures, shutdowns, people were working from home, mm -hmm. supporting you know, customers all over the world. Um, and that's, again, it was, it was brilliant research for me because I was not only capturing the data from my sales teams, I was capturing from their families, from travel agents, our B2B customers, and people all over the world. I had travel agents telling me, I'm using this on my kids and they get it. And it's just shocking how you know, easily children can understand this when you give them a model. And I thought, oh, I didn't really design it for the kids. I designed it for our sales teams, but mm -hmm. if it works for people, let's keep going. You know, and I thought about that and reflected about that a lot. We have not been taught how to manage personal change. We have all of these wonderful global organizational change models. But if you think about it, when you were young, did your mom and dad or a leadership authority ever say, oh, Phil, don't worry about it. Oh, Phil, you'll be fine. Oh, Phil, you're just making too much of this or grow up. It'll be okay. That never made you feel good, did it? Yeah. It, di it didn't resolve the fear and anxiety. Or even if it's a positive uh, situation like, Phil, you're getting married. Congratulations. You're going to be just fine. Don't worry. You're still standing there at the altar scared to death because your body can't differentiate between the change that's happening to them. Um, Nobody taught you how to manage personal change. But if you can take scared so what and learn how to critically reflect on changes that are happening to you, you can make an informed decision and then you can make a plan to get yourself through it. And that's been the output of what, what scared so what is designed for. It's really designed to help you critically reflect, make an informed decision, whether you accept or reject, that's on you. But you still are going to say, well, so what do I do about it? And you should probably have a plan. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really interesting how elements of other thought processes have sort of fed its way into the scared so what model. You know, you've got a bit of Gibbs reflective cycle yeah. going on in terms of reflecting on the emotional aspect of something that's happened. Absolutely. Make next um, action research. You're, you're you're conducting research in yourself in your own way. You're absolutely right. Yeah, but, but, but that's yeah, that's why I find it quite interesting because you you you've recognized you've got this emotional piece which you felt wasn't properly ad addressed um, through uh, change models that you've seen out there. 
Um, I would like to come back to the Sarah curve because you you make some quite explicit comments about that and how yes. it's perhaps being misused. But let let's come back to that a bit later. But okay. um, but you've also got that with elements, of course, of good change practice in terms of you know action orientation and so on. So you've sort of combined a number of interesting concepts into something that becomes uniquely, you know scared so what as there it is so, so there you <laughs> go um so so that that that's great and i think what you've done is you you've kind of um uh in your dissertation you go into quite a lot of detail about how you wanted to test the model you know through interviewing and through um um yeah uh get survey development yeah. and, and so on and so the scale of collecting data to kind of support whether or not the model um is useful and is it simple and right. you know, can people use it and is but it helpful think, yeah it's helpful i mean I, I think to some extent you've kind of already alluded to that in some of the storytelling um that you've done about it but before we move into that, perhaps in a bit more detail, could you could you just go, could you talk about the Sarah curve? Because that's obviously, that does deal with emotion. It, you know, it deals with grief and anger and yeah. it does deal with the emotion. But, I, you know, you've got some quite strong views about the Sarah curve. And I do. Was. And, you know, the funny thing is, is it was it was because of the master's program. Um, uh, you know, we learn a lot in the world, don't we? And at sometimes we just take what we see for face value and say, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I really think that's the way a lot of them is. Uh, unfortunately, I, I'm guilty of being very inquisitive. Are you sure? Is that, is that, is that really what it, it meant to be? So um, the, the beauty of doing this research, and I, I have to admit, I was shocked myself. Um, I was actually able to reach out. I was encouraged by one of my uh, directors of study to reach out to an author, just reach out to them, whoever created one of these change models. So I did. I reached out to Daryl Connor, who created the positive and negative change cycles. I reached out to John Cotter, uh, connected with them through, through LinkedIn. It was a wonderful tool. I love LinkedIn, but yeah. they, I, I got right through to them. But I was able to also get through to um, Ken Ross, who is the president of the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross Foundation. Uh, Dr. Ross is no longer with us, but her son is, and he lives on through uh, championing her research. And I had an interview with him, and I was just dying to know, because I couldn't find anywhere in the literature research, in my literature review, of who wrote the Sarah Curve. It's all attributed back to her, but I thought, is it really her? There was something there. And I actually found out through my interview with him, he said, no, she did not create that at all. Um, she created the five stages of grief or the, the, the change curve that she created. And she actually created 13 stages, but people were so confused by it and confounded by it. They said, you need to condense it. And so her mother, his mother condensed it down just to five stages. She was aware that business entities wanted to adapt her model. And she said, do what you need to do. Um, but don't put my name to it. I didn't create that. So I created, I created a model focused on death and dying of years and research of what people actually go through in the journey towards their impending death. 
um, he actually said, Ken Ross said about his mother, he said she was very anti-business. He bought her three computers and she refused to use them. She used a typewriter to do all of her, <laughs> her, her work. Um, so that tells you a little bit about what her mentality yeah. was towards it. But it was interesting. He did say, Grant, um, what you're trying to do here is to facilitate a conversation in teaching people mm -hmm. how to navigate personal change. And he said, that's what his mother wanted to do. People yeah. will take your model and they will change it. And that's probably the biggest form of flattery you ever get. But mm -hmm. he said, I will tell you, be very clear in how you intend for your model to be used. For example, um, the five stages curve was not designed to be a linear model. And Dr. Kubler-Ross was criticized for that through the medical profession. They assumed that she created it to be linear when she actually created 13 steps and said, this is just facilitating discussion. Some people don't even hit one stage or the other, but they might bounce back and forth between the others. So I've been um, purposely intentful in creating Scared So What in the documentation, uh, in the articles, et cetera, on the website to say, this is not a linear model. This is a process. Each person is a human being and has an individual uh, reaction. So as we learn, and you taught us how, how, how adults learn as well mm. too through the master's program, it's a jungle. It, it, it's a zigzag. So, and so mm. scared so what can be used that way as well. Have there been any particular stories about people who've used the tool that that um, you would you would like to highlight at all in the conversation? Are there? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It's. I mean, there's. It, it varies. I've had, obviously, our entire sales force using it. Uh, we just rolled out this in the beginning of the end of last year a whole new international sales structure. So we reorganized the entire global sales structure and we utilized Scared So What. And the funny thing is, is I had heads of sales coming to me and saying, wow, our teams really were scared. And I was able to actually help them formulate their own so what. Um, it sticks. It becomes so sticky. You know, just the words themselves. You don't really have to have uh, the questionnaire or the, the template. You can actually just talk it through. And that resonated with me because in the research that I did um, in all of my interviews and surveys and built during the master's on, is it helpful? Is it simple? And is it you know, usable? Is it friendly to people? Um, I learned that while let's say 50% of the population is just very much detail focused or oriented to give me the answer, they don't care about the scared. You know, we don't want to talk about that feeling stuff. We want to know, so what do we do? But the other half of the population says, no, we care about the emotions, et cetera. Mm. You know, it was oddly unique that 100% of them came back and said, you have to use both sides. Mm. When, when dealing with change, especially in business or wherever we are in sales, or even for their own personal use as they were identifying, the emotional aspect cannot be um, ignored. In, in some cases, it's sort of counterintuitive in sales, isn't it? Because sales is very much a numbers-driven kind of business. It's action-orientated. Yeah. You, you know, to, to, to get a sales organization to recognize the importance of emotion. Well, you know, if you think I, about I, it, I think that's quite yeah. a challenging thing to do. <laughs> well, it is. But also, I, I think of this, reflect with me for a moment, this. Salespeople, how many salespeople do you see out there that are just very monotone? 
that are, you know, almost oblivious to emotion. Most of us, present, present uh, company, <laughs> guilty as charged, we're very emotional. We're very animated. We're very excited and passionate about, about what we do. That's typical of what you find within sales about the skill sets and the abilities of behaviors. So emotion, it, it's funny how it makes sense that emotions need to be recognized. And when you do that, you, you create a critical pathway for people to think about and reflect about scared, their feelings, then they can quickly get into the, so what are we gonna do? And I thought that is a great way of acknowledging my sales team's emotional aspect. Let them get to a favorable decision or an unfavorable decision because you know another thing that is missed is as a sales leader, whenever you implement change, do you ask your sales teams if they're on board? Most certainly not. You, you, never, you never really ask them, how do you feel about this? Are you okay with this? Can you support this? Well, what happens if somebody says no? And as a sales leader, I want to know who my change adapters are so that I can empower them to help get everybody else on board. But also I really need to know who the change detractors are because I might be able to go back through a few actions or explore through more opportunities and get them the information they're missing so they can make a favorable decision. Mm -hmm. And that's critically important to have everybody on board. And I, I think that's leading. That's the whole purpose of leading. You can't just lead just a few. You have to lead everybody. I, I think, you know, you're, you're absolutely sort of spot on in terms of the profiling of salespeople. But I do uh, observe quite often that a lot of organizations, when it comes to sell, selling structures and targets, are actually, you know, I'll come back to what I said earlier on, are very numbers driven. You know, yeah. if, if you don't meet your quarter's targets, then, okay, maybe you can run two quarters, but then after that, if you still don't meet them, then maybe you should leave sort of thing. They're, mm -hmm. they're, quite, um, they're quite tough in the way that they, they, they operate uh, kind of out of fear a lot. Yeah. Um, in terms of how they manage the organization. And I think it's changing though, the sense of uh, the sense of, you know, this this alpha, you know, um, often male sort of orientation uh, to, you know, this sense of bravado about, you know, I have no um, fallibilities, I have no, you know, um, I have no weakness, you know, but part, part, partly scared, so what, is recognizing that actually you're not sure how to deal with something, you know, you're not quite sure. I mean, yes, it might be a positive surprise, you know, it might be a negative surprise, but but if it's negative, you, you're sort of inferring that I'm not comfortable with this. So exactly. I'm, I think it's interesting that recently we've been running some uh, video interviews with people around mental, you know, sort of mental awareness week. We've had a big, a, you know, a big program about this in the, in the UK. I'm not sure if it was a global initiative, but um, uh, and we where we're getting more and more sales directors to talk about, you know, get, you know, getting in contact, uh, in touch with their their emotions. So I think that there are a number of mitigating circumstances that will will well. This is a, this is yeah, interested in your reaction to this is is making this topic of connecting with emotion more accepting now than perhaps it was ten years ago. 
Well, absolutely. And, and, you know, I believe it. And uh, guilty as charged, you introduced me to Dr. Julian Julian Birkinshaw. Yeah. Um, You know, looking at the eras in which we live. And ever since I learned that, it it added a whole new layer of understanding the why. You know, we talk about Simon Sinek, finding your why, etc. But Julian, Julian Birkinshaw says that since about 2010, we're now living in what's called a democracy. Yeah. And people are more focusing and making buying decisions based off of emotions, um, mm-hmm. emotional aspect. They're not, you know, like um, times before in bureaucracy or meritocracy, they're not, they're not looking at what is the evidence. They're looking at um, how do I feel about this? And yeah. you can relate to this. Everybody's social media, getting their picture, you know, and taking pictures of their food. How do I feel about it? Nobody's making buying decisions based off of, uh, concrete evidence and facts and resources, they're making it, how do I feel about it? All the way to, with Royal Caribbean, um, how do I feel about their uh, environment and sustainability process? I'm not going to buy with them if, or travel with them if they aren't critically uh, you know, supportive of the environment. Um, and what that shows you is, back just a little bit to your other comment about you know, the typical male dominance um, you know, and, and driving, hard driving of targets, et cetera, if we in business do not adapt to the eras in which we're living and operating it, we probably won't be in business very long. Mm. Um, or we might be, but we won't be growing as fast as the rest of the world. You have to adapt. And that means our sales processes have to adapt as well too. Mm. And uh, Dr. Birkenshire in his evidence and research about the democracy, I think it hits home to what I'm trying to do with Scared So What is say, in a society where emotions are driving the decisions, then we must therefore learn how to react and or critically think through and reflect mm-hmm. on changes. And that is 100% about emotion. Yeah. Yeah, no, really, really interesting how you've sort of uh, progressed your thinking and research in, into this topic. Um, and I'm looking at the data of your dissertation was 2020 and and here we so I'm I'm interested to get some insights now or perhaps you could share how you've taken your thinking from what you uh, developed in in 2020 or 2000 and yeah 2020 uh, maybe earlier and how how you know how has this theme of scared so what developed from your own point of view what sort of things are you doing to uh, test, validate, uh, I don't know, explore this topic um, since the master's dissertation? Well, uh, no surprise to you, but I had some great people encourage me. Now that you've finished the master's, you're so close. Could you go on and do the doctorate? Um, and the answer was yes. And so uh, I have literally just finished uh, my Viva. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've done, I continued my research. Um, I expanded my research into sales transformation and hence have created another model. But at the same time, I have continued Scare So What and growing and sharing it throughout the world. Mm-hmm. So uh, I made it uh, a website freely available to anybody and everybody who wants access to it. Uh, I've created videos, tutorials, the, the Scared Quiz is there. The uh, So What template is there as well too. And it's very simple. It's at scaredsowhat.com. And so anybody and everybody can have access to learn about how to manage personal change. 
And in doing so, I've just been continuing to share and mm -hmm. collect people's feedback of how they're using it. As a result, um, I did submit a proposal to Kogan Page. And the funny thing is, is that um, my professors had told me, you know, submit a proposal and just wait. You may or may not hear from them. Uh, it may be a year down the road and that's okay. Don't panic. I submitted it on a Sunday night. Monday morning, I had a response from the editors in New York. We want to talk to you immediately. That afternoon, I was on the phone with them. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't often happen, uh, I have to say, Grant. And for the listeners who don't know, Coke and Page are a, a publisher. So Grant is in the process of, I think, busy writing yes. uh, chapters for the book. So, But presumably um, what you're doing in the book is, is not only talking about scared, so what, but it's actually you know, talking about, I, I don't know, the context of change, perhaps at a higher level, I don't know. Yeah, yes. the book is titled Trans uh, Transforming Sales Management, Lead Your Sales Teams Through Change. And it's the first book in the world that has all of the major models that we learned about in Sales Masters. So there's eight of them. So I introduced the sales leader or the salesperson to these global change models. And I also educate them on how that they could use them throughout their, their career path. But then the key element that's missing is the individual. And so then I go into why the individual matters, what was my concern about the individuals in creating, scared so what? And then I move on to how do you incorporate the individual's own personal sense of change by introducing scared so what to them. Mm -hmm. So it's one book that had, if you want to research, it has all of the top change models for organizational change, uh, which would be a great support for um, any sales leader. And then also how you help coach people uh, through individual change or um, give the, them their abilities. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really glad you've brought up the coaching um, term as well, because I know that that was one of the things that surprised you a little bit yeah. uh, back in, in, in 2020, which is that you found that people were using the model uh, to, to help coach, you know, their teams around. They were. Yeah, that's, that really surprised me. Um, and again, uh, so many people, and we're talking out of about 200 people, probably roughly 90% came back and said, I can use this as a coaching tool. And if you think about true coaching, by the way, Consalia has a great coaching program that I'm in. Um, so you can get your coaching accreditation, little advertisement there. Thank but um, true coaching is not a, about advice. It's not about giving advice disguised in any way, shape, or form. It is being the facilitator, you know, asking those open-ended questions. And I learned that it's so critical because if I tell you as a sales leader something to do, I am robbing you of a development opportunity. And I'm also taking ownership away from you. Let me give you an example. If I tell a, a key account manager to go and do something, I don't ask them how they feel about it. It's not really, I'm leading, right? I'm leading transactionally, mm -hmm. telling them what to do. And let's say they go do it and they come back and it didn't work. There's no ownership. They say, I did what you told me to do. Ah, next. So I get about this much, you know, a little smidgen of, of them, but I don't get their full ownership. But if I facilitate coaching and say, you know, Phil, what do you think you could do? How would you do that? What do you think the results would be if you did that? If I use true coaching, and no advice. Excellent, go ahead and go do that and let's talk afterwards. And then they own it. 
because they create the ideas themselves, they're learning themselves, and then they're going out and executing based on what they, they created. And then when they come back, I continue the coaching discussion and I keep it positive and I keep going with coaching. Let's say it didn't work. Okay, well, what do you think you could do differently next time? So I'm empowering. I'm leading, but I'm leading transformationally. And that's very different. And that's why I think coaching is just so important if done correctly. Well, that's brilliant. Well, I think that probably brings us up towards the end of uh, this particular podcast, Grant. Thanks hugely for sharing your journey with us. And um, um, it's been incredibly generous of you to have made um, the scared um, so what model available, like you said, freely on the website. And we'll make sure that um, there will be links to that website on the show notes that will be oh, associated perfect. with the podcast as well. And then um, look for the book. The book will come out. In and the book, I think we'll have to get you back to tell us about the book at some stage, probably not too, too, too far into the future. So there thank you, you Grant. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It was great to be with you.